welcome back, all of you history enthusiasts slash nerds like I am. Welcome to A Step Into History. I am your host, Jace. I'm here to give you some steps into history. This is episode three. So if this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, I highly recommend listening to episodes one and two first. The reason is because we start with the very beginning and we're going to work our way all the way until the 1500s. Now, for those of you that are continuing on with this episode, if you listen to the second episode, we talked a little bit about uh, Mesopotamia. We talked about the Epic of Gilgamesh, his whole story thing. We talked about the Hammurabi Law Code as well. So we went over quite a few things that dealt mainly in the Mesopotamia area. What we're going to switch to now is we're going towards Egypt. Now, the thing with Egypt is that there there is a lot of history with Egypt. So this is not just going to be one episode. There's going to be multiple episodes just focused on Egypt. We're going to talk about their farming, their their uh, architecture, their pharaohs, their laws, all those things that they had set up in Egypt. And so it's going to go over a long period of time. But first, we're going to talk about uh, how it compares with Mesopotamia. Now, we know one of the one of the sayings of Mesopotamia is that it's the cradle of civilization. Okay, we think that it's it could be the oldest civilization, but the competitor for Mesopotamia is Egypt. The reason is we're not exactly sure, or historians are not exactly sure, how old Egypt actually is because there are new artifacts that continue to be found that show that they're they're from long, long times ago. Uh, just recently, there was a discovery where they found a bunch of sarcophaguses that were buried on top of each other in the Egypt area that proved to be from a long time ago. I'm not sure exactly how long, but uh, we know that it is a competitor for the oldest civilization. Now, talking about the writing, how they use hieroglyphics, we actually have no idea. There's no explanations where hieroglyphics actually had come from, the writings from like symbols and such. We know that we're able to, there's professionals that can read hieroglyphics there's people that have the rosetta stone that they compare that to to be able to to read some of the hieroglyphics but we don't know where there's no explanations where it came from all right so that's just a little quick couple things about egypt now where we're going to start off with this episode is we're going to start talking about the dynasties of egypt or or the time before the dynasties i should say this is called the proto-dynastic time so before there was dynasties that were set up um now, during this dynasty, uh, this proto-dynastic time period, uh, in over about 2,000 years, Egypt have never been successfully invaded, not a single time. 2,000 years. Can you guys believe that? 2,000 years was not successfully infiltrated or invaded. Now, this provided Egypt enough time to really build up its empire and become more and more strong as years go by. They had the ability to develop a huge surplus of food, which not a lot of other civilizations were able to do. They actually used the Nile River to do this. Now, if you look on the map, you can see the Nile River. It goes from north to south. It's really, really long type of river. Now, what would happen is regularly the Nile River would flood and it would recede. So the water would go back. What this did with that soil is that it made it incredibly fertile. And they were able to use this soil to plant all their different crops. They were also able to divert the water paths to get to all of the crops. This provided them the, the ability to change 
different crops throughout the same area without having to worry about anything going wrong. So uh, they have this great, great farming ability throughout most of Egypt all along the Nile River. Now we're going to be jumping around Egypt for a little while, but mainly focusing on areas that are near the, the Nile because this is where the source of life was for the Egyptians. Now you might have heard of a place called Abu Simbel, which is, it's of course in Egypt. Now Abu Simbel has this amazing temple that was built during Egypt, ancient Egyptians' empire time. Uh, there's a total of four complete statues, and if you look closely enough, you'll actually notice that there's a similarity between all of them. In fact, they're all of the same person. It is Ramses II, which we're not going to go into too much detail about him, but that's just kind of a fun fact. Now, in more recent history, in around the 16, or 1960s or so, the government decided to build a new uh, a dam at Aswan. Now, putting up this dam in this area would have filled up the whole valley and covered the temples and the carvings and destroyed them. So what they decided in the, in the 1960s is to dismantle the statues and the temples and then put them about 200 feet higher and 600 feet west of where they sat originally. So if you look at the location of them where they're at sitting now, that's not the, the original um, nesting ground area. Now, something that a lot more people might understand or know about are the pyramids. These are a lot more well-known around the world because these are the massive, amazing tombs that nobody really understands how they were built brick by brick or what has happened. There are a lot of theories, though. Uh, some of the theories that we'll talk about these, um, they there is a design that somebody has tried to figure out how it's done, and they showed them using ramps inside of the pyramids to push the stones one by one along long round wood poles and that's how they were able to build the bricks one or get, get the bricks higher and higher in the pyramids but one of my favorite theories is simply aliens helped them i think that's pretty neat there's a lot of a lot of stuff about the pyramids that they, they link with the stars and there's a lot of amazing things that the pyramids it's phenomenal what they're able to do. Nonetheless, what we have been told about the pyramids is that they were built by slaves. In fact, a lot of people, that's what we think of. The pyramids were built by slaves. Now, in recent studies, though, they, there has been a really amazing find. Near the pyramids, there were some archaeologists that were just digging, and they found something that was incredibly interesting. Now, according to many sites, the leading archaeologists have found... 4,000-year-old burial plots with skeletons that expose the myth about slaves building pyramids. Now, what this means is that they found other things with these, these skeletons that prove them not to be slaves. These skeletons were perfectly preserved by the dry desert sand, which is um, one of the more natural ways of mummification. But they all had jars of beer and bread for their afterlife. Now, as slaves, they don't have this thing buried with them. They don't have anything there. They just die. That's where they're supposed to be at. They don't have anything to carry with them in the afterlife. Now these sites were first found by a tourist in 1990 and the chief archaeologist at the time, Zahi Hawaz, he had said that the workers were paid laborers because of this, the, these jars that were found. Um, and now Herodotus, which he's in, in the Greek history, he's the father of of history is a more common term for him, but he was an ancient historian. 
who actually described the builders of the pyramids as slaves, which is probably why most people today still think of, of, of the pyramids being built this way. The thing about Herodotus, which we're going to talk about later on, because we'll, we'll dive into some Greek history, but a lot of his stuff isn't fully believable. There's a lot of things that he, that he says that are a little bit far-fetched, and we'll talk about those in some later episodes. Now, there's also a professor, his name is Amahai Mazar, and he was at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, and, and he had said that this myth of Jewish slaves building pyramids were acclaimed by a former Israeli prime minister. So Mazar said, no Jews built the pyramids because Jews didn't exist at the period when the pyramids were actually built. So it's really interesting. Now, but if any of you listeners have read the Old Testament in the, in the book of Exodus, it does state that the Egyptians enslaved the children of Israel, um, and they had them doing backbreaking labor. The Pharaoh made all of them work on buildings, but Mazar, the, the professor at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, um, he had said, if the Hebrews built anything, then it was a city of Ramses, as mentioned in, the, in Exodus in the Bible. So the most likely explanation why the slaves building pyramids is so common um, it, it are all these things that, that come together. But one thing that stands out more is that Hollywood has built it up this way. Hollywood has said there were slaves that built the pyramids, and that's what we know. Uh, Dieter Wildung, who is a former director of Berlin's Egyptian Museum, he said, The world simply could not believe the pyramids were built without oppression and forced labor, but out of loyalty to the pharaohs. And this is from history.com. So you can see right there, it's for our minds to understand how they were built is too far-fetched. And so there were stories that had been made up and all these type of things. But there's plenty of evidence and reports showing that the pyramids were built by paid laborers. So it's really interesting. Now, this isn't to say that there weren't any slaves in Egypt. There have been slaves throughout all of history, almost every single place in the entire, in the entire world. One of the ways people become slaves is that they would sell themselves into slavery. And so the reason why I'm talking about this is that in Egypt, there were actually seven bad years. Um, it's just one year after another. It wouldn't rain and the Nile wouldn't flood, which made it so the people couldn't actually farm. Like we talked about earlier, they couldn't, they couldn't guide the water to their crops. They couldn't have the fertile, fertile soil, anything like that. And so since people couldn't crop, they couldn't grow any any vegetables or anything to sell so the people had nothing so what would happen is that people would sell themselves to the pharaoh to pay for the food for their families and so after a time this is seven years all the people had become slaves and so that's why there were so many slaves in egypt that we know about okay so that's just a little bit quick things about the pyramids about the the slaves that were in egypt so now what we're going to do is we're going to talk about some different pharaohs i'm not going to go into too much detail of each one of the pharaohs but if you want to in the future, uh, we can uh, focus an episode solely on one pharaoh and talk about them the whole time, dedicate the whole entire episode to that. But we're just going to go through a couple of them, but some of them that I think are my favorites. Uh, now, the first one we're going to talk about is a person by the name of Hatshepsut. Now, what's so unique about this pharaoh is that uh, she, that's right, I, I said she, was the first woman pharaoh. Now remember, this is a long time ago. Pharaohs were often males. So at 12 years old, her father, who was the third pharaoh of the 18th dynasty, he had passed away, and she had married her half-brother, who, 
his name was Tutmos II, and so she became queen. But then Tutmos II um, was a son of Hatshepsut's father, but his mother was one of the the many side ladies he had. I'm doing air quotations in the air, if you can't tell. So uh, Thutmose had inherited the throne in 1492 BC, then he died in 1479 BC. They did have one daughter, but the throne went to the infant son, who was born to the side wife. So Hatshepsut had to act as Thutmose's the third regent, okay, the, the son of the side lady. She had to take the responsibilities uh, until the kid would come of age. Now, after a few years, Hatshepsut assumed the role and full powers of the pharaoh, which made her like the co-ruler of Egypt. Uh, Thutmose III was the other co-ruler, but of course he was too young and he couldn't rule just yet. Now, because this wasn't normal, she had to continually prove her family lineage and even had to reinvent her image. She wanted to be more uh, portrayed more as a male pharaoh. So if you look at pictures or paintings, uh, statues of her, she it shows her to have a beard, some big muscles, and she was tall, and, and all these different things make her look more masculine. Um, one of her most known things she had done was commission the building of Deir el-Bari, which is a fascinating temple. If you look up the pictures on it, it is amazing. Um, now, she died in her 40s and was buried with her father in the Valley of Kings. So then, Thutmose III had taken over the throne, and he became the pharaoh for the next 30 years. Thutmose was a, a great warrior, and he was very a uh, super ambitious builder. Later in his reign, he had actually uh, had so many things built for him that it, it, it took over the whole entire the valleys. Um, now, after some time after he grew up even more, he had nearly every statue or record or image of, image of Hatshepsut uh, or anything that was related to her had those all destroyed. Now, this was either done because they didn't want to have any historical record to show that they had a female ruler or to show that there was no gap in the dynasty's line of male succession. So we're not exactly sure, but there's not a lot of things about her anymore. That's why you don't hear about many things about her. Um, Hatshepsut's tomb was actually found in 1903, but when it was opened, there was no body. It wasn't until 2005 that there was a search, um, was relaunched, and then in 2007 her body was found, and what also was found was a life-size statue of her. So maybe they, they took the statues and buried them with her as well. So there's not a lot of things about this, this pharaoh Hatshepsut. talk about he goes by the name Akhenaten whose actual first name was Amenhotem IV which is translated to Amen is content he lived from about 1353 to 1336 BC so he didn't have a long time to reign but there are a lot more things about this guy than there were about Hatshepsut now he had actually done something that not any other, uh, any of the other pharaohs have ever done he established a cult that was dedicated to worshiping the sun's disc. Now, the sun's disc in Egyptian is Aten, uh, which is 
uh, it means the sun's disk. That's straight up what it means. Now, so his name, Akhenaten, is actually translated to beneficiate of Aten. So basically mean that he is called of the sun, sun's disk. Uh, he had married Nefertiti, which I'm sure some people have probably heard of before. She later on changed her name. She uh, extended it to Nefernafuaten, Nefertiti, which means beautiful is the beauty of Aten. A beautiful woman has come. Now, some important things about Akhenaten is that he was actually com- considered the first family man, which we'll talk about more in just a second, uh, because it links together with the religion. So, uh, he is, like I was saying before, he is very different than the other pharaohs concerning religion. He is the first monotheist pharaoh, believing in one god, the sun god Aten. In one of the hieroglyphs of Akhenaten and his wife, Queen Nefertiti, there is Aten, the sun god, that's that's above them, with rays shining down towards Akhenaten and his family. And at the end of each of the rays is a little hand, which was showing that Aten offers the sign of life to the king and queen and their family, basically blessing them. Now there is a uh, an, an article I'm going to read real quick by Donald B. Redford, who had excavated Akhenaten's earliest temple, which was in a place called Karnak, which is now called Thebes. Now he describes what Akhenaten's instituted worship was. And so he says this, he says, the cult of the sun disk emerged from, from an iconolastic war between the good god, Akhenaten, and the rest of the gods. The outcome of this war was exaltation of the former and the annihilation of the latter. Akhenaten taxed and gradually closed the temples of the other gods. So you can see right there, Akhenaten is trying to get everybody to be towards this this one sun disk god he's trying to make sure everybody's forced into it um now the images of their occupants were occasionally destroyed as well so he continues he says uh, cult ritual and mythology mythology were anathematized which means they were things of the past Literature edited were, or literature was edited to remove the unwanted illusions of these other gods. Names were changed to eliminate hateful divine elements, and cities where the old gods had been worshipped were abandoned by court and government. Akhenaten destroyed much, he created little. No mythology was devised for his new god. No symbolism was permitted in art or the cult, and the cult itself was reduced to the one simple act offering upon the altar so you can see right there he's trying to make sure everybody is changed to worship this Aten god Akhenaten's god does not accept and absorb he excludes and annihilates so we need to ask ourselves real quick that's the end of the quote by the way um, was he an actual good pharaoh it is up for debate just because there are some things that we know what's, what he has done that are not super great and it's, it's interesting to look into it more. Now, he had actually made a new capital that was about 200 miles north of Thebes. The new capital was named Akhetaten, which is Horizon of the, of, uh, the Aten, or the, the Sun. Now, this was, the east, this was on the east bank of the Nile River and was a big desert recess in the coastline. Kind of like a bay, but it was surrounded by, by a bunch of limestone cliffs. Now, in these cliffs, though, there was a lot of carvings of tall stella, which are stela, which are tall, upright stone slabs with inscriptions or designs all around them. Now, these stelas 
they had been dated the fifth, sixth, and also the, the eighth years of Akhenaten's reign. And on each of them was a description for what Akhenaten planned for the city. He wanted the city to be dedicated to the sole worship of Aten. So you see right there, he is making these places that people have to be in to worship this, this sun disk god. Also, this new god was not portrayed anthropomorphic, which it, it, he was more of a human form or human attributes form. So it made it a little bit interesting. But as the sun's disk itself had stated before, so you see right there, he's he's changed it. He's changed a lot of these things. We know a lot of the different statues of ancient Egyptian times that was half animal, half human, or, or whatever. This was just the sun's disk. Now, another difference that Akhenaten made with this religion is that instead of having rituals in small, darkened sanctuaries, which they had been doing for thousands of years, um, and they were within the innermost parts of the temples, his devotion to Aten was celebrated through the presentation of foodstuffs uh, on large uh, large numbers of offering tables made open in the sunlight so everything is being touched by the sun by the sun's disc now each of the temples were built um, they had a series of vast open air courts so these big open areas now if you're into art which we'll talk about art throughout this podcast from time to time because it's really important to understand a lot of the art throughout history but you'll notice a difference between the art from Akhenaten's time and the standard con conventional Egyptian art that we see. Um, now, I'm going to point out some of these, some of the things that are a little bit different. So, um, there are a lot of things that are more exaggerated. Um, the Pranagthus jaw, uh, he has a thin neck, or they all have thin, thin, really thin necks, sloped shoulders, pronounced paunch, large hips and thighs, uh, their faces had slitted eyes, so really thin eyes, fleshy lips, uh, they had uh, different types of wrinkles, and there was just holes for earplugs. The princesses themselves had more of an inflated egg-shaped cranium, which is really interesting. There is some debate as to whether these actual these were actual features of the king and his family or, or not, but um, it, it's interesting to see the different art that's changed with Akhenaten's time and previous pharaoh's time and later pharaoh's time. Now, there are some accounts that records that, that say Pharaoh Akhenaten and Moses are the same person. Now, this is something that I found out. I, I, I was looking this up, and I was kind of confused. Like, why was this article talking about Pharaoh Akhenaten and Moses being the same person? Now, we've talked about Akhenaten being the first Pharaoh to, to abolish the early Pharaoh's beliefs and have everyone worship one god that was not in animal form which is actually something that Moses was teaching as well. He was saying we shouldn't be worshipping animals. We need to make sure that we're all following this one God. Um, there are other accounts that say uh, it was Akhenaten monotheism beliefs that influenced Moses, which I think is more accurate. It, it's, more, it's more likely that this is what it was instead of them being the same. Um, because in the Bible, we, we have different stories that tell us the things with Moses and there's not really any linking accounts to Akhenaten, but it's kind of interesting to, to think about if they were the same person or if Moses had taken taken these things from Akhenaten's beliefs and, and developed his own things like we know what Moses has done. Now, there's not a lot more information on, on Akhenaten, but we're going to end describing him and move on to Nefertiti. If that's not cool with everybody, too bad you listen to this podcast 
If you want to look up more about him, you can go to history.com or Britannica.com. They got a lot of stuff on Akhenaten, which is really interesting. Now, we know that from earlier, Nefertiti was Akhenaten's wife. She was a queen. And after Akhenaten's death, Nefertiti had may have ruled the new kingdom. So, backtracking real quick, earlier in this podcast, I said Akhenaten was like the first family man. Um, Nefertiti was like the mother to the children. She's like the first um, person to take care of her kids in, in great ways. And, and throughout a lot of the different sculptures and a lot of the religion things, they developed more of a family aspect, whereas previous pharaohs were very separate. So after Akhenaten had passed away, it is possible that Nefertiti could have ruled because she had that, that knowledge that Akhenaten had shared with her, whereas previous wives never had that information. Now, during her time of reign, there was a huge amount of cultural upheaval. Because remember, Akhenaten had reoriented Egypt's religious and political structures all around the worship of Aten, the sun god. But one reason Nefertiti is so well known isn't because of the ways she dealt with the ruling during this hard time, but she's known for her painted sandstone bust that, that shows who she is, which is discovered in 1913. And this uh, became the global icon of feminine beauty and power. Uh, a little background on Nefertiti real quick. Uh, there's not a definite 100% answer to anything about her history, but she may have been the daughter of Ai, which is, um, uh, he, you might not know who he is, but he was a top advisor to the, a previous pharaoh who would later go on to become a pharaoh after the, king, the death of King Tut which I'm hoping you have heard of. But that's just one theory. Another theory is that she was a princess called Mitana, uh, which is in northern Syria. Then she became the wife of Amenhotep IV, who was Akhenaten, who became the pharaoh and changed the capital to his name and, and changed her name like we talked about earlier. Now, quick side fun fact for you. According to History.com, never treat his beautiful iconic carved bust it was scanned, CT scanned in 2009, and it showed that underneath this surface of this bust, um, of the stucco paint and everything, was a, 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 a different sculpture. Now, the sculpture was done by Thutmosis, um, which he used a lot more live, realistic limestone, and within the interior of this, of this plaster was one of these limestone carvings. It was of a woman with wrinkled cheeks and a bump on her nose. So the person on the inside of the bust was not Nefertiti, but on the outside was Nefertiti. Uh, she had also uh, she also disappears from history around the 12th year of Akhenaten's 17 reign. So we have some information, but we don't have too much. Now we're going to pause this podcast because we're reaching the end of our, our time limit here. But we're going to continue talking about Nefertiti. There's a lot more information we're going to go over with, about her. I just want to give you guys a, a little taste of, of, of things about her. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Continue listening. I, I hope you have fun listening to my rants on history. I hope you're enjoying history as much as I am. Thanks, everybody.